0: Good evening. Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming by another Merged Worlds stream. I appreciate it. I'm just sitting here with uh, little Patches is visiting me today, so I'm having a kitty pets for a minute. She doesn't really come up and cuddle with me that much, so I thought I'd give her a couple pets while we started. But thank you for coming by my Merged Worlds stream. I am uh, excited to carry on with our tale. Left Uh, this one is Patches. This is Little Patches. You're probably the one you'll see a little bit least often on stream and such. But yes, she's a good little girl. Yeah, aren't you? She's been laying on my lap for like 10 minutes now. It's the longest ever. Uh, But yes, we're going to continue our story today. Uh, Leaving off, starting off with the uh, next part of the knee deep tale, right? Teresa, I'm glad to finally have you back. I know you've been very busy this summer so far. All right, little one. I'm going to put you down now, okay? Okay? Can I put you down? There you go. Come on. There you go. Step over. Thank you. Uh, i have a fan blowing. So as I'm petting her, all of her cat hair is blowing right in my face. And I'm allergic to cats. So that'll be a thing. <laughs> all right, well... Thank you all for coming by and let me tell my story again today for the 55th time. Uh, So, I'll start off like I always do. Where did we leave off? Didn't I kill everybody? No, I'm just kidding. That's how I like to start every Dungeon Dragon session. Reminding everybody that it's only a matter of time. (laughs) (laughs) Pull this microphone up a little bit better so you can hear me um so yeah today we're going to continue with our tale. as always we give it a couple minutes to let everybody arrive but uh thank you for swinging in and hanging with me if you have a good time remember to click like and subscribe if you have not if you're listening to this on the audio podcast uh follow give it five stars review it, all that kind of stuff i would greatly appreciate it why do you have cats if you're allergic to them oh well for the same reason why I eat donuts they, I shouldn't, but they're delicious. I, the cats aren't delicious. That came out weird. But, you know, I do a lot of things I shouldn't do for, that are best for myself. Hmm. So, all right. So, last episode, our heroes were trudging through quite the swamp. Um, it was a lot of swampiness. And they had been dealing with, oh, goodness all sorts of problems from sicknesses to creatures to things of that nature. There was a whole lot of stuff going on. But the big thing rumors the whole reason why they're doing this is they're still continuing west trying to find this tower of the gods so they can stop the Emperor of Ormon from hatching his plan of trying to Bring his goddess Pandora into physical form, which is technically against the rules of gods. Uh, but they don't know where it is. They only know that it's somewhere to the west, and so they're trudging through trying to find it, while at the same time not being caught by Orimon at all. So, and I, I I was asked to clarify the emperor's name is Marcus uh, Marcus Dawnbringer, and. Uh, he is the emperor of Oramon, and there was some confusion. He is not Oramon. he's the emperor. That's the name of the country or empire. So there's that. But um, So, as we finished off, they were going through and they'd fought some things, and they were attacked by Viogi, which are little, three to four foot tall at most, uh, frog men, by large amounts of them. And then more of a horde issue. It's not that they were very, very strong themselves. There were just a lot of them. So, when they were able to successfully defeat them, and they appeared to have retreated, checking their numbers, they came to realize that two of their party were missing. And, searching the swamp, making sure they didn't, you know, get knocked unconscious and be underwater or anything like that, they realized that <clears throat> Dandy, our kinder friend, and Miyasha, the very large uh, height-wise. She's over seven feet tall. Uh, Cleric of Healing, the two of them were missing. The rest of our heroes then went off in pursuit of the viogi, trying to track them through the swamp to get their friends back. That's the assumption at this point that they were taken. Why, they don't know. They finally arrived at the edge of a great lake of the swamp. It appears very deep. They could see on almost the opposite corner <clears throat> opposite side a uh, little huts and stuff that was clearly the Viyogi village camp but floating in the middle of the lake were their friends Dandy and Miyasha strapped to uh, very makeshift rafts <clears throat> and uh, they did not appear to be conscious so of course our heroes feared for their safety they decide to Go in there and help them, of course. And Darsh, with his ring of water walking... ...starts busting across the top of the water to get to them. <clears throat> it's about that time... ...that a very large... ...nasty-looking creature... ...rises out of the water. And the, the creature is called a frog-hamoth. Maybe a like creature amphibious like a frog. It has three eyes on the top of its head. I may have said two last time. I can't remember. I believe it has three eyes on the top of its head, long gangly appendages, some tentacle-looking things, uh, and just a bad disposition. Um, Immediately, our heroes know that why they were... uh, why their friends were captured. Uh, They have been given some kind of sacrifice to this creature, and our friends... Now we're in a pinch having to save them. Mm. So, several things happened at this point. As she says, very scary. She looked it up. That's true. It's a classic Dungeons & Dragons monster. Most of the creatures, many of the creatures I use, are classic Dungeons & Dragons creatures or variations of them. I do bring in my own homebrew monsters occasionally. Very often, they're more boss-level stuff. But, yeah. So, um... Darsh is already running across the water. Uh, which, in itself, you would have to think would be rather impressive, right? This huge minotaur goes bolting across the top of the water like it's solid. For him it is, right? And as he's busting across the water... Um, he activates his boots of charging. Uh, his boots of charging are something that allows him to gain a great amount of speed... A, a burst of speed forward but it's a little hard to control. So in some situations, he can trip, and then now he's flying at velocity. Um, But luckily, the water itself, not the type of situation to trip you. Uh, It's more dangerous in caves and stuff, to be honest. So he goes tearing across the top of the water, charging in to immediately try to draw the attention of this beast away from the rafts. And he's close... As he's going by, he, you know, he's able to take a glance. He can see that they're tied to it. And they do seem unconscious. Um, but the waves, the rocking of the Muhammad is definitely making these little rafts shake pretty uh, harshly. And if they were to flip or sink, um, he's not sure that if they even are could gain consciousness if they'd be able to free themselves. So that's a, another concern he has. While this is going on, Of course, the rest of the party is trying to join in as well. Now, they don't have a lot of ways to go tearing into the lake. Um, This is pretty deep water. Um, So, swimming in is not going to benefit most of them. So, everybody who can basically switches to ranged weapons. There are quite a few archers in this group. uh, Specifically, with Nathalion being the best of all of them. Both the Owens brothers uh, are also very skilled archers. And I mean, you can you can assume this. some other people have got crossbows and things. And then Marcus and uh, um, Edwin uh, do have spells. Uh, Dash, Dash says, Do you ever play games with viewers for streams? Um, video games, yes. I actually played several yesterday. Um, video games quite often. I haven't done any D&D stuff on the channel yet, though I hope to in the future. Uh, at this point, I haven't done any live D&D stuff with anyone yet, but potentially down the road. So Marcus and Edwin start with spells. Marcus is by far the superior spellcaster. He's much older, much more experienced, and he's a battle mage. So in situations like they're normally finding themselves in, combat situations, uh, Marcus is by far the better of the two casters. Um, Edwin, well, no slouch, he's a full mage, uh, is a little lower level, if you will, and his skills, much like Tobias's, were more in the world of magical items and artifacts. Uh, <clears throat> so he usually ha- he had, if I remember correct, a couple wands, rings, and a bunch of potions. He had, and that's what how kind of he he did most of his combat damage. So immediately, a barrage of magic and missiles start flying across the lake hitting this creature at the same time that Darsh jumps in melee with it. And Darsh has to be careful. We've talked about this in the past, that if Darsh falls, he will go under the water. He can't get back on top of it. He has to be on land to step on top of the water to be able to walk on water. There's no way... The rest of his body, it's just regular water. and There's no way to get his feet on the top of the water while he's submerged. So... Uh, that that is a, a limitation of the the ring of water walking. <clears throat> Doesn't make the water solid for you. It just means your feet can walk on it. So he's trying to just like normal do as much damage as he can, uh, while at the same time drawing the attention away from the others. Mercy and Artemis, there's not a lot that they can do. It's too far away for Mercy to throw her Morning Star, which she's gotten pretty good at. And Artois doesn't have any long-range spells. So, they and a couple of the other more melee-themed characters, uh, Seamus and Quan and things of that nature, they're having to take <clears throat> a bit more of a defensive stance, because at the same time, the Viogi are starting to come around the lake as well. Some of them appear to be even swimming through it. Um, whether this Froghamath is their leader or their god... It's hard to tell for our heroes, but they know that whatever it is, the Vyogi don't like them messing with it. So the Vyogi are coming in as well. So the melee habit group have things to do. They're basically defending the ranged people so that they can focus on the large beast. The frog Froghomath itself doesn't have a massive amount of special abilities. Um a couple minor things, but nothing that really benefited it in this situation. Uh, it really became more of a just it's trying to deal damage, and it tries to grab things and just eat them whole, because it's big enough to do that. Um, so Darsh is just wailing away at it with his sword, and he, if I'm correct, he, did, he was dual-wielding swords at this point. He did not have his shield. It was still strapped to his back. It's, I mean, a shield's not going to do a whole lot against a giant tentacle. <laughs> just a, a point for yourselves, you ever find yourself in a situation where you have a shield and you're facing a giant tentacle, it's probably not going to help you that much. Just, you yeah, helpful that way. <laughs> Alright. So. The battle itself didn't take too long. Um, Darsh did, in fact, get knocked. Um into the water. He'd done a good chunk of damage, but the Froghamoth did get a good hit on him, putting him in the water. That didn't mean Darsh couldn't attack anymore, but it greatly limited his abilities, because it's deeper than... He can't touch the ground. Water's too deep. Now, while this is going on, Quan had started to swim out to try to get to the rafts. Um if he could wake them up or get them untied then that might be so, somewhat Quan was doing that uh, one of the better swimmers in the group Quan has all these skills it's odd because I didn't like superpower quan I gave him a range of skills that I thought might be helpful and he ended up just being really really just versed in the stuff they needed every time they needed it he lucked out that way but he manages to successfully get to Dandy who by this point has awoken and has already half freed herself. The Viogi didn't take much of her stuff. Um, and even if they did, they took most of it. She's still got knives hidden everywhere. And she has a knife, and she mostly has a cut By the time Quan gets there, he just has to help her a little bit. And then he swims on to get Miyasha. while Dandy starts making her way back to the shore. Because Dandy's feeling lightheaded. They had been given something um, to knock them out. And so she's not fully, like, in a point where she can so she's trying to swim. She's really on the raft, trying to use it to get back, because she's still very out of it. It's at this point that Miyasha's raft flips. Um, it's still floating, but now is on the wet side. Um, Darsh doesn't see this. He's still fighting. Quan uh, is diving under and trying to cut the ropes off her. Uh, She is conscious at this point, as being dunked underwater will do for you. And She's thrashing around quite a bit, and she's relatively strong, just from her overall size. But the ropes are holding her, but the raft is starting to fall apart a little bit. Uh, Quan manages to get her cut out, but by that point, she's uh, unconscious again. She's just inhaled too much water. And he starts swimming backwards, trying to pull her on the shore. And her man... She's a big person. I'm pointing this out. She's not, I'm not saying she's a fat person. I mean, she's just a very tall, large person. Um, and so Quan is... It's a struggle for Quan, who's a little on the smaller side himself. Luckily, they're under. They're in water, so that helps buoy her a little bit. But he doesn't even have the raft. The raft pretty much fell apart. And so he's trying to pull her back. Seamus, at this point, has dove into the water per Mercy's instructions to go and help pull in pull her in. And they're successful in doing that. Um, Marcus really did a big big bang in this one. He fired off a couple of his bigger spells. Fireball, Lightning Bolt. Some of the big damage one. Um, the Lightning Bolt had the minor effect of electrocuting the water a little bit. So Darsh got a little zapped out of that. Uh, which he had some words for Marcus later about, hey when firing Lightning Bolts at things in water, please make sure I'm not near them. But uh, the frog Hamath finally wraps its tentacles around Darsh, like it's planning to do, and is trying to eat him. Uh, his arms are free, and so he's literally just stab... Every time he goes in to try to bite him, he's stabbing at its mouth, and it doesn't like that. But it's trying to get this big, meaty, horned thing in his mouth. Um, Nathalian also did some good work in this one, managing to take out one of the eyes relatively early on. Um, that had a pretty damaging effect on it. Uh, but, as expected. Eventually, uh, Darsh uh, it gets a very good cut and cuts off the end of its tongue. It has a long tongue. It doesn't cut off a lot of the tongue, but it cuts off a chunk of the front of the tongue. And that's painful. I don't care who you are. Uh, and it basically throws him at that point. Uh, towards the Viogi village, which is a distance, and he ends up in the water halfway. It's not like a, it's not like to throw that far. I and mean, he's in the water, and he's kind of out of the fight at this point. The splash stuns him for just a second with the force of it, but uh, he take he's, too- he's going to take him a while to swim either direction. He can't he can't walk on the water at this point. So it comes down to the ranged folks, um, and they successfully do quite a bit of damage to the frog and and it eventually sinks back down under the water. Uh, they don't know if they killed it or if they hurt it enough that it's just tending its wounds. But at this point, they feel the best thing they can do is to get away from here. Because uh, it didn't look like it was trying to come on land at all. And they're hoping if they can get back out to the swamp, it'll leave them alone. The Viyogi at this point, seeing it crying out, especially when Darst chopped the end of its tongue off. Uh, and it screams out really loudly. Uh, they freak out and start to take off into the swamp. Even the ones in the village take off and they just start scattering everywhere. Uh, Seeing their god take that type of a damage is not something they were expecting. So uh, Darsh was swimming to that shore because he was the closest. By the time he gets to the village there's nobody there. Uh, he's able to look around a little bit and find the few things of Dandy's and Miasha's backpacks and stuff that are still there. It's most of it's strewn on the ground. He gathers up everything he's got and brings it back to shore uh, where Artemis is healing Miasha. Uh, they have to give the whole, you know, mouth to mouth, get water out of her lungs, thing, and then they heal her. But they were successful, but uh, <laughs> Miasha has had several close calls in this adventure already. she's Masha is not the adventuring type, and I promise you that she is very much doubting she's ever going to be uh, adventuring in the future. This is not her cup of tea. <laughs> Even a little bit. So. Um, they gather their stuff up, they, once their friends are okay, and they get back out of there as quickly as they can. Because they don't know if the frog Froghometh is going to be back or not. And they don't want to deal with it. So they manage to flee. And they have no other issues from the Viogi moving forward. Uh, so that ended well. And they end up spending the next couple days still trudging through the swamp. A little bit slower at this point. A little more paranoid. Um, one of uh, our followers of the podcast, our good friend Paul asked me, did anybody at any time use the flying carpet? And to be honest with you, no. They never once asked me if they could use the flying carpet. Somebody could have got up there and, you know, scouted or something, but nope, not one time did they even think to use the flying carpet in all this swampness. Uh, so they, they bumble their way through it. But they travel, like I said, for a couple more days, without any major issues at this point. Uh, just to, you know, minor animal life and things they have to deal with and this swamp is again it's thick it's viney stinky most of the time I'm sure it's mucky there's not clean water we've talked about that issue uh, food meat wise is probably pretty pretty plentiful but other than that it's not the kind of place you're just going to hang out in for fun that's why it was even the more surprising when on the third day after the Vyogi they see a house. Quan is, is in the head at this point. Uh, is, is leading ahead. Uh, and he comes back to say that there is a small shack-like house ahead of them in the swamp that has smoke coming from its chimney. So he believes that it is he didn't get close. He saw that. He came back to report. He and Dandy go ahead then and start scoping it out a bit more. Dandy and he are looking around and they see that there appears to be a small garden growing uh, on, a, on a raised patch of, of land. uh small one. She sees vegetables and probably some herbs and plants and stuff she doesn't recognize. Um, there's a goat in a small pen. Um... It's on a very, very small hill, just high enough that it's, you know, probably five or six feet out of the water. Uh, but a big rain might still cause problems. But it's it's a little in a raised area. And, and with, the, with the land that it has there, the small hill, it's enough to kind of make a little homestead here. And it looks old. It looks very, very old. There's moss growing all over the wood. That has it there. Vines have grown up over it. The roof itself at this point almost looks like dirt on you know, a moss and things that have grown on it which probably help keep the rain out as well to be honest with you but it's small couldn't be more than just one or two either one large room or two small rooms but dandy here is a female voice inside now she can't tell if the person is singing or spell casting or just talking it's very faint but she does hear a feminine voice coming from the shack Again, it's a very odd situation. Why would someone be living out here? But they go back and report to the rest of the party and they decide they're going to approach the Shack. Uh, not, again, kind of like they did before, not as a huge group. Darsh is going to stay in the back. You know, Minotaur knocking on your door in the middle of the swamp, probably not the thing you want to wake up to in the morning. But uh, Artemis, Mercy, um, Lucas, and Quan... Uh, are going to go up and kind of introduce themselves. Uh, so they make a point of making some noise and talking so that they, if they don't come as a surprise. They want the person to know they're coming. And they arrive and they get climb a little hill here and they come around the house to the front door and uh, not knowing what else to do Mercy reaches out and knocks the door. Uh, it's almost instantaneous that the door comes open. So much so that Mercy steps back a little bit in surprise. Um, and standing there is a woman. Human, appears. Uh, she is uh, definitely the easiest way I could describe it uh, would be of a Cajun style of descent and physical appearance. She has long hair it's, uh, is very that's uh, um, what I'm looking for. Uh, woven long trains, um, and she seems she stands there with a large smile. And she says, I know I'm not going to use a Cajun accent, I can't even begin to touch a Cajun accent. So, you're gonna to have to imagine the Cajun accent yourself. Some accents I can do a little bit, I have no Cajun accent, I'm clearing that up with you guys right now. Um, She's like welcome. She was it's so rare to get visitors out here in the middle of nowhere. What brings you through here? Dreadlocks. That, that's it, Ashley. Yes, thank you. Okay. I want to say braided. That's the term I wanted to use. I was going to say long braided into locks. That was it. Yes, dreadlocks braided into dreadlocks. And and she's uh, she seems quite pleasant, but she doesn't seem surprised. And she steps out and she's like, she goes, It's so rare I get a visitor out here. What brings you along in this type of land? And Mercy introduces herself and the others, Artemis, a cleric of healing. And she, the woman, makes a moment of delight. Oh, I'm such a lovely elf. Uh, then Lucas, oh, a strong man. You can tell you're a uh, Quan, oh, you look like someone who knows his way around places. Just a very, you know, very friendly and, and, and uh, making a point of commenting what each person kind of looks like they'd be good at. Uh, which is probably obvious, but at the same time, it's it's interesting that she she describes them in that way. And she said, "You have other friends out there." Mercy and Artemis feel it's best not to lie in the situation, and they said, "Yes, actually, we're we're part of a larger group, but we didn't want to just come stumbling along and uh, you know make you think that." We're here some type of an attacking force. We're just passing through these lands. And we didn't want to start it like, oh, you can't startle me. Her, introduce herself as Agatha. Gives no last name. But she says, you tell your friends to come on up too. It's perfectly fine. There's room for everybody. And Mercy and Artemis are like, okay. Quan goes back and everybody else comes trudging up. Which is kind of nice. There's, again, there have not been a lot of dry spaces that they've found. Few, occasionally they find them... If they find one even midday, they normally will camp there, just to try to get a dry place to sleep. Uh, this, this, this small hill is big enough for all of them, and they're up there, and everybody's sitting down on what is one of the driest pieces of land they've seen in weeks at this point. And Agatha seems nice, and she goes around and asks everybody's name and shakes everybody's hands, and it just seems pleased. While that's going on, Dandy and Mercy are kind of looking around and peek into our house, and you see all the things you think you'd see in there. There's candles all over the place, and there's like animals, uh, taxidermied animals in there, and pots and things hanging from the ceiling, and there's vines and such in there. It has a, a strange herbal smell coming out. Uh, Artemis has uh, a decent amount of herbalism skill. Um, it's second edition skill that has a lot more... S- usability than it seems in modern D&D, but in second edition, healing and herbalism, non-weapon proficiencies, when combined, were incredibly useful. So Artemis, again, taking stock of some of the herbs and things she sees, Seeing she doesn't recognize the smell. Agatha uh, finally, after saying hello to everybody, comes in and she steps back into her house and comes back out with a with a chair and sets it down and sits, sits on it and just begins chatting with them all. Most of them are sitting on the ground at this point. Several of them are standing up, carefully looking around. You know, there's one house here. Maybe there's more, you know. They're being cautious. Well, not trying to be threatening or, you know, like they don't appreciate being invited in. Um, But Agatha looks like she's probably in her early to mid-40s. Pleasant, friendly. uh, Seems intelligent. You know what I mean? Um, and she's, you say she she has a, a, a touch, a touch attractiveness. You know what I mean? Like where she is right now, she's clearly unkept. This isn't someone that gets up every day and, you know, showers and so on and so forth. You can definitely tell she lives in a swamp. But she uh, says she has a just a, like a, a real a, kind of a, a cute attractiveness to her that just kind of makes everybody smile. She's just so friendly. And uh, start, ask him what brings you through here. What, what's going on? <laughs> This is not the type of place I'd expect to see a group like yours just come walking through. It's a big swamp. You must have been traveling in here for a while. And they decide to go ahead and talk to her a little bit. You know, they don't tell anybody their whole story, but as normal, they ask about a couple things. How big is the swamp? Do you know how much longer? Uh, are there any other settlements around here? Are you the only one living out here? Why are you living out here alone? She goes, oh, I've lived in this land for a long time. Uh, you might even say I was here before the swamp, really. But then, of course, the whole world changes, and now everything's different. Where am I going to go? This is the only place I know. This is where I've always lived. So like, okay, well, it kind of makes sense. The merge came through, probably made the swamp much bigger than it used to be, you know, which is possible. But um, it seems odd, because when she's asking some questions of them, and they're having this conversation some of the questions or the way the conversation goes, it almost like she already knows a little bit about them. Um, and that's something that the players picked up on through the through the conversation, because during that time, of course, I'm playing Agatha, uh, and we're having that conversation. And I'm sure at the time I was butchering a Cajun accent to the point of insulting this. I, I love the Cajun accent, but by God, I can't do it. Sup, up, rag? So uh, they picked up on some of the things that they're asking and chatting about. Um, she was pointing conversations in specific ways, and sometimes they're like, Oh, you must have. How would you know? That? Oh, you mentioned it already." And they're like, "I don't think we mentioned that already." So Mercy and Artemis, well, generally she doesn't feel like a threat. They start to be a little concerned, like they're a little, a little. Hmm. There's more to this person than we think. Um And then finally they're like, okay, well, she knows something about us. Maybe she knows something about the tower. And so Artemis asks, she goes we're looking for this tower. It's supposed to be a holy tower, neutral to all gods. Uh, and it's supposed to be somewhere in the west of Oromon. Um, that's where we're headed. you know, They don't give a reason why. like that's where we're headed. And fortunately, we've not had a lot of luck finding it. Agatha goes, ah, yes. I know of the tower you seek. Yes. Fable, some would say. A tale, others would. Mm, a legend, for sure. Not many have ever seen the tower. Agatha's never seen the tower. She does have a habit of referring to herself in the third person, if I remember correctly. She goes, Agatha or Aggie. Aggie's never been there. She goes, I've never seen the tower. In fact, as far as I know, there's only one man alive who's ever seen the tower and walked away again. Well, this definitely perks up their knowledge. She goes, oh, they're like, you know of a man who did that? She goes, yes, yes, because I know the man quite well. I do, I do. He's such a, he's a nice man too, friendly, very knowledgeable about the tower, you speak. And they're like, excellent, cool. Uh, you think you might tell us where he is? And Agatha gets a very big smile. And As friendly and as polite as she is, in this very... That just brief moment, uh, the smile she gives... Kind of gave Artemis and Mercy the chills. Just that, that smile just seemed a little bit... Off. She says, ah... She goes, now knowledge... Knowledge is power. And a currency not easily spent... You're asking for something, a piece of information that a lot of people would really like to have. It's not the kind of thing old A could just give away. But I'll tell you what. I'll strike you a bargain. I've lived out here for many years. And you know, not far from here are some old ruins. Oh, old as long as the swamp is, I'd say. Old as long as the swamp is and inside of those ruins there'd be a necklace a necklace that belonged to someone important to me and I've always longed to have that necklace back but man that type of place has got bad mojo it's not the kind of place old Aggie could venture into it's its just not safe for a lady like myself but you guys big strong warriors and magic users and clerics and like your own little small army here. I bet you guys could get that necklace for me. If you guys could get me that necklace, I would be so appreciative I could answer any questions you might have of where to find the man that would help you find your tower. Artemis and Mercy look at each other, and they're like, well, bear with us a couple minutes. We want to talk to our friends. And she's like, oh, sure, I'm going to be back. Grab a drink, I'll be right back. And she steps into her little hut out of sight for a few minutes. Artemis and Mercy, who've been doing most of the chatting. darcy has been staying in the back, because Darcy's is a scary-looking guy, and he's not trying to make anybody creepy. So he couldn't hear a lot of the conversation. Dandy was close enough to hear most of it, but they chat about it along with some of the other people uh, that they trust, Lucas and Marcus especially. And they're like, what do you guys think? She thinks she knows someone. And they're like, well, I mean, we don't have any other clues. All we know is west. But, I mean, it could be 500 miles south, 500 miles north and west. We, there's just no way to know if we're going the right way. If she actually knows someone who's been there, someone who can help us find it, I mean, there's, there's not really any choice we have here. We need that information. And besides, I mean, this place can't be that bad. She's living pretty close to it, Right. She said it's only a it's only a short distance away. If it was all sorts of dragons in business, I'm sure she wouldn't be living right here. They take that into account and they're chatting about that. They're like, okay, that sounds like sounds fair. Lord knows we've done this type of thing before more times than we'd like. Agatha finally comes back out. She's got a, a, a warm glass of something, a cup mug, clay mug. Looks very handmade. It's not the nicest mug. It says number one dad on it. I'm just kidding, it doesn't say that. But <laughs> but She sits down in her chair and she's drinking her her warm mug of something. And Mercy Anonymous is like, "Uh, yeah, we'll we'll accept your bargain. We'll go get you your necklace. Um, And when we come back with the necklace, you'll let us know where to find the only man you you know who's alive who's ever seen it. She's like, oh, of course. I'll be excited to give you that kind of information. You'll have done such a boon, such a favor for me. Such a favor. Agatha gives them... uh, a little bit of information uh says yeah bring it back okay uh says that it's actually only about a day's travel directly north of here she goes i mean you know for you guys it might be you know the swamp is worse at times than others it can be half a day or a whole day depending on how bad the swamp is up there she goes i don't go that direction much myself i stay pretty close to my homestead but i'm sure you could get there in a day um And she describes the necklace. It seems that it's actually very... uh, She says the chain is very thin. Almost looks like it could just fall apart. But it will be surprisingly strong. She says that in the center of it is a green gem. She goes, it's a golden necklace with a green gem. If you bring me that back, I'll tell you everything you need to know to find the person who can give you information you need on how to find your way to that tower. Friends thank her, say, okay, we're going to start heading that way. They start heading north. It does take a little less than a day, and they they stop and camp as it gets dark in the evening. They find a relatively dry spot again. In fact, as they're traveling through this area, uh, it almost seems a little bit drier than some of the swamp they traveled in, which... They haven't really, you know, noticed that they've been going uphill at all. But it's possible that it was such a small incline they didn't pick up on it. That over time they've just been getting a little bit higher. Maybe they're actually not that far from the end of the swamp, or north. There may be an you know, end of the swamp. Who knows? But they, they, you know, they're thinking about it. They're like, well, maybe we also may have found a way out of the swamp. If we're getting out of the wet, and maybe after we bring her this necklace, we can come back this way and get out of the swamp finally. <clears throat> They make their way towards the ruins. And of course, they're cautious. She said, Bad Mojo. And it seemed warning enough to know that she thinks there's something dangerous here. So she's, she, they're very careful uh, as they approach, <laughs> which is a good thing. Because when they come to the ruins, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the ruins are actually quite large. Quite large. Um, they look almost uh, Mayan in design. Although most of it appears to be overgrown, again, with moss and vines and plants and such. Um, a lot of it appears underwater. While it was dry there getting to it, once they re- approach this place, it seems almost like there's, I wouldn't say even a lake, just like a real deep puddle that this thing is in. You know what I mean? Just a, It's just a little bit lower than the rest of the land, so some of the water is filled up there. So part of it seems like it's—you know, all, all the buildings or what were buildings appear to be partially submerged. Hi, white, white. Man, I, I've been in the mood to play Magic: The Gathering myself recently. I need to get. I need to get the video. I need to download the PC game and play it. I miss playing Magic. i to played Magic for years. Sorry. There, uh, the newest Magic: The Gathering uh, expansion is going to be coming out. I was reading on it the other day. It's actually going to be a Dungeons and Dragons themed thing. Widgets of the Coast is finally going to make one, so I'm interested. Anyways, so seeing the buildings also immediately lets them see that there's something living in these buildings. And the uh, snake-like creatures <clears throat> obviously have a snake bottom half, but the top half appears um, humanoid. Arms, muscular, wearing clothing. Uh, they appear armed. Um, but their heads are that of lizards. Or snakes. So they like a snake head, but with a abdomen and such. Uh, Some people, depending on your depiction of them, if you looked uh, almost Naga-like or Naga, uh, but with more snake-like head. So, they see that there's, they don't see a ton of them, but they see enough that it's a concern. So if they can see this many, how many can they not see? Some of these buildings do look submerged. Maybe there's more ruins behind them that they can't quite see. So they decide they're going to have to be very careful. Now, in the center of these ruins, they can see a large building. It almost looks like it was probably some type of central building or temple. And some of the corners appear to be caved in a little bit, but it's still a very large building. Um, And Agatha had implied it would be in the city center. Uh, That appears to be the middle of the ruins from what they can see. They decide that's the direction they're going to have to go. So they begin trying to sneak through these lands. Now they've seen six to eight of these snake men, and they all appear to be male at this point. They don't see anything that's female uh, from from apparentness, anyway. Uh, they look male, and they're moving around, but they don't appear to be like guarding anything. They're not like on a patrol. It's just like people going from place to place doing their thing. There might be one just kind of literally chilling by a building or somebody sitting there eating something or someone maybe is standing there talking it's like they live there it's not so much like it's garrisoned or they're protecting something or of that type of a camp in a lot of Dungeons and Dragons adventures every time you find a gathering of people in a situation like this it's like they're there to defend it why? how many people come here right? they can just be living regular lives in this place maybe they're not just saying Give your players some options. So they come around the they come around the west side of the building. Uh, from what they can see, it seems to have the lesser of the amount of lizard creatures. And they've seen creatures like this before. This is not their first time fighting a snake man. Uh, I want to say they they fought several of them in the flooded. Persian style temple where they got the water stone way back in the day. They fought creatures just like this. So, this is not, uh, they may be dressed differently, maybe even from a different world. This is merged worlds, after all. But creatures like this they've seen. So, they try to decide how should they all go in, should some stay out, and this is the thing. Can everybody sneak through this town and not get seen? Do they wait till the nighttime? Do they do it during the day? Does a small group try to sneak in? Does one person sneak in with some people in a chest of holding? This is one of those decisions that they have to think on. And so the characters, the players, decided that not everyone's going to go inside. Just in case there's a problem, having some backup might be good. All four of our main characters are going to go inside. Which also means Lucas is going inside. That's just how that works. Um... They also decide to bring uh, Kwan. Um, and they decide to bring uh, Nathalian because again, it might be handy to have some range. Um, and there was one other they brought. Garrick. They brought Garrick the Minotaur, the cleric. Again, thinking that having another magical user would be good. They left Marcus and Edwin in the back, because again, if they are swimming and stuff, wearing a bunch of robes is not going to be very convenient. Artemis is already running into those problems. So, everybody gets in the chest of holding except Dandy. They have once again entrusted their lives to Dandy, who very rarely lets them down. But they, uh, she ends up sneaking through, and they do wait till it's starting to get dark. They don't wait till full dark. Just Enough that there's enough shadow. The sun's dipping behind some of the trees of this that, you know, even when the sun's relatively still high, it's still going to be darker here because of all the trees and such. And she uses that to her advantage. And she sneaks into the temple. Again, at no point does it appear that anything's guarding this. She does see several lizard folk, or snake folk, whatever you want to call them. Um, but none of them seem to be looking for anyone. And in fact, she sees less of them as the, as it starts to get darker, like they're going home for the night kind of thing. So when she reaches the temple and she looks inside, she doesn't see anyone in there, but what she does see is lit torches on the wall, which makes her think that this may be a place where something lives. Of course, if it's the biggest building, it only really makes sense that some of them live in here. She decides to go, to go in a little ways before letting everybody else out, just in case she needs to book it out of there real quick. And she starts being extra sneaky, working her way down. Because it is stairs going down. Um, she gets down a flight of stairs. and Sure enough, there's water rolling down them, down at the bottom of it. She can see that there is water at the bottom of the stairs. She can't tell quite how deep it is yet. Um, but as she gets, you know, she's creeping down and she's looking on the next floor. She still doesn't see anybody, but there are torches above the water line still lighting this this room up. So maybe the snake folks have no problem with the water. She feels at this point it's best to let everybody out. She doesn't know how deep the water is. She, she doesn't want to jump in there and a crocodile come out or something. And then she gets eaten and they're stuck in a chest of holding and die. So she lets everybody out. Explains where they are, what, what, what she's seen so far. They proceed to move forward. Now, in this room, it appears to be a, 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 a main chamber... Uh, It was probably a chamber of worship at some point. Uh, There's still the remains of what were probably stone benches and things that at this point have all fallen over and are mostly submerged. The water actually ends up only being about shin for the average person. And thank you, Jaco Jaco, for the sub. I appreciate that. Um, But it's only about shin-deep for the average people. Knee-deep for dandy. Um and so they're they're careful. They don't see anything moving in the water. Everybody's got their weapons out because you know, they're in, they're in a tough spot, right? Because what if these are not hostile people? These could just be snake folks living in their te- in, in their temple, right? It doesn't necessarily mean they're evil or bad people. Uh, and our characters are very conscious of that. They're like, we don't want to rush in here and kill a bunch of innocent people. turns out Agatha's the bad one. You know? At the same time, you know, they don't want to die. So they have their weapons up. And they start making their way down. Now, there seem to be, as they're making their way into this room, there is a doorway in the back, a large one, very square. And uh, Darsh is actually going first in this situation with Dandy. Danny's still checking for traps the best she can. It's not an easy find in this situation. But Darsh is also the tallest. So if the water does get deeper all of a sudden, he's the best chance of still being able to hit the bottom of it. And he's got his boots of water walking. He could literally step up onto the water should he need to. He's not doing that right now because he's tall. and He'd have to crouch. This this is a, a big room, but he's also very tall. So that's an option should he need to. They're making their way through that doorway, and they see that the doorway is another large set of stairs going down. The water uh, running down the stairs. Now, down there, it seems relatively dark. They don't see any torches at this point. They do hear what sounds like muttering from another doorway past the stairs. So this room is mostly stairs with a little walkway around it and another door in the back. So, they have to make a decision. Do we go and try to see what's talking and confront that? Which could be something bad we have to fight, or could be something good we have now caused problems for? Or do we want to try to sneak down the stairs? And they decide to sneak down the stairs. They said, you know, if whatever it is, if the necklace was up there, they always have probably going to have to come back up. If they could avoid finding, running into anybody, that's what they'd like to do. So they go down to the bottom of these stairs and there's no light down here, no torches. Um, everybody here except Quan I want to say Quan is the only one who has no infravision at this point and Lucas. Quan and Lucas don't. But they refrain from lighting a torch at this point because they're trying to be a little more cautious with that. So they're just you know, kind of bumbling through the dark. It's not pitch black down here but it's pretty dark. At the bottom of the stairs is a door It's a large door In the center of it Is a raised circle With symbols on it And lines And they start looking at it And sure enough It appears to be some type of Puzzle locking mechanism Because I'm a jerk Remember that From the looks of the door It has not been opened in a long time um, there's no fresh markings on the door like anyone's scratched away at it or been trying to figure out the puzzle. So, looking at even the overgrowth and the water and such and, and the mold and funguses on the door, it doesn't look like it's been opened in a very long time. So either there's a reason the snake folks don't want to get in here or they couldn't figure out how to open it. So our, er- our heroes tackled the puzzle. It took a... Uh, took about 15 minutes of our life for them to figure out the puzzle. Uh, and it was a... Uh, imagine it was a puzzle with, like, planets. It was about, It was a matter of aligning the planets successfully. There were different rings with different planets on it. And they had to line them up in a specific pattern. There were some symbols and such on the walls that helped point out the order of those. They had to search the room and and find those. They ended up having to light a torch at that point uh, so they could read the walls. But then eventually found enough of the symbols that they were able to figure out the order of the planets and open it up. Now, are there other planets? Probably before Merged Worlds, but this has existed since before Merged Worlds. And that's the thing I have to remind folks of a lot of times when I talk about Merge Worlds. Even though Merge Worlds is this new crazy world and a funky realization and reality and such, everything there was already there. So you're going to run into stuff that doesn't match Merge Worlds. It matched the world of Origin instead. They managed to get the door open. Now, when they do, they hear it unclasp. But the door itself doesn't move. Uh, They have to basically push the door open. Which isn't easy. There's water here water pressure and because it's hard to push the door open lets them know there's very likely water on the other side as well but Darsh is strong enough with Garrick that they were able to clink it open but it was not quiet it made a noise so there were some concern that they may have attracted unwanted attention so as soon as they were inside they did their best to close it most of the way so that hopefully anybody looking down there would, would still look closed but they didn't want to close it all the way just in case it locked again and they couldn't find their way out So this dungeon... Because that's of course what this is, right? Um, was not... Uh, was more of a trap-based dungeon. Uh, there were some combat and things... They had to deal with going through here. Um, but each room in itself... Was not so much a puzzle... But an annoyance. There were things they had to do in every room. Most of it was activating certain levers... To open the door to the next room. Uh, that like so that first door was a puzzle. Um, but each room had something about it that made that difficult uh, in the first room they came into um, the floor was completely covered in snakes the floor was mostly wet but no more than just a few inches but it was just writhing with snakes and immediately they can say these are all poisonous snakes none of these snakes were not poisonous there were small holes all over the walls you can see the snakes were sliding in and out whenever they wanted but it was just very very tons of snakes very Indiana Jones like if you ever saw that movie They can see that there's a door ahead of them on the left, and over on the right is a, like a switch lever. They can pull down, like a just a stick coming up. It's kind of large, but uh, Darsh, Garrick, probably could Mercy could probably pull it down. Mercy's no slouch. They have to get across this room of snakes. Um, The problem was they did not know that there was a spell cast on this room that reverses magic. So any spell they cast while inside did its reverse, if it was possible to do so. Um, So, this became an issue because they're like, okay, we've got to get through. They lit some torches, and we're using the torches to try to push the snakes back. Um, But sure enough, one of them gets bit. And Artemis casts Heal Poison. And immediately, the person gets ten times sicker as she just drastically increased the amount of poison in them, which was very confusing. Garrick tried to heal the same person, and it was Quan, by the way. And he passed out, and he's turning green. It looks like he's about to die of poison. And so they're trying to cast it like something's wrong with the spells. Um, they had some potions and stuff they were able to use. The potions still work fine. Spells themselves that were reversed. Um, uh, but Garrick tries to cast... A, I believe it was a flame spell... Uh, to try to burn a bunch of the snakes. And all that happened was... is the water started to rise. And he's like, no, I said fire, not water. And that's when Artemis is like, oh, hold up. You cast a fire spell, we got water. Everything's going reverse. I tried to heal him, he got sicker. And they're like, oh, gotcha. They didn't bring a mage, remember, thank goodness. Imagine what they would have cast. <laughs> but they had to get through these snakes... And, like I said, once they got through the snakes into the next room, they were able to do healing because this was a one-room thing. They did test it in the next room. But they did get over there, get the, the, the door open, and get through. The door, they were able to close it behind them again. Once the the, le- the mechanism, the lever, unlocks the door. So it doesn't open the door. So at that point, they can open it. They close it behind. There's only a few snakes. They're so kicking them, burning them, that kind of stuff. And in the second one, they're able to heal. In this second room, there are stairs that go down into the water. again. And at this point, they go down into the water. And this time, it's deep. Uh, They're going to have to swim through this. So the stairs go down into a hallway that goes a distance, and then stairs come back up. The problem is, the water's at the top of the stairs. They're going to have to swim down, swim through the hallway, and come up the other side. Uh, Quan, again, Pretty good swimmer, no improvision. This is a problem because there's not any light under there. So Dandy decides she's gonna try it first. She'll go down and look for traps. And it's not that there's traps, there are obstacles. On the walls and ceilings in different locations, there are spikes and what look almost like broken glass and sharded things. And if you get close to the side, now I'm not talking huge spikes, just enough that if you get close to the side, you're going to hurt yourself very badly. And you can imagine these have been underwater a while. They're metal or stone. Probably going to, you know, rust. You're going to get tetanus. You're gonna get, you get something. So they had to swim through all of this. And a couple of their people can't see. Right? Everybody else can kind of see. infravision underwater is already a problem. Um, the only one who can see perfectly fine is Mercy. Mercy can always see perfectly fine. It's her little headband tiara she's had from the early early days uh, is definitely something that uh, makes her life a lot easier so they am having to swim through and there was a lot of rolls because they had to not hit the things while swimming and there was a decent amount of space the bigger the person the harder it was obviously um, and then whoever had to guide through Lucas and Quan also uh, had extra negatives to try to pull them through without them getting hurt So when they get into the next room, they finally come up the stairs into the next room. uh, The water... The stairs aren't quite as high up. And here the water is knee-deep. And here next in my book where it says knee-deep, next to that in brackets I put LOLZ. Because I was just tickling myself with another knee-deep reference. Um, In this room... Like I said, the water is about... uh, Knee-deep for the average person. A little bit shorter for Darsh. There appear to be four alcoves. each, Each of the four walls... They come up the stairs in the middle of the room, have an indention so it's kind of like a big plus sign. But each one has some water that gets deeper there. So like some stairs. Imagine if this was just a dry temple, it would be some stairs down to a small flat area. Each one of the at the end of each one of the cross symbols, um, and they can see just above water level a lever in each one of these things. So they're like, okay, we have to do these. Uh, Darsh decides that in this situation... ...he's going to take it upon himself... ...to just walk across the darn water... ...and just flip the switches. Because, you know... ...that would beat whatever traps... ...I put under the water. Um, I was ready for that. So, you're standing on water... ...the water's still wet. So when you pull down something... ...that electrifies the water... ...it is going to get your attention... Uh, Darsh took uh, let's see 2d12 plus 10 points of damage that is the possibility of 34 points of damage from electrocution Uh, he could also save for half. Hey Jonas what's up sir so he could also save for half right Uh, Darsh got the snot zapped out of him in that water. Didn't knock him out but man it came close Came close. Flipping the switch is what actually lit that. Uh, Let's see. The second alcove was actually a tunnel where the lever was at the end and it was very hard to pull. It required a strength check. Uh, So in that situation, somebody else swam down there wasn't strong enough, had to come back and get help. Uh, The third one, when they flip the switch, it ends up making spikes come out of all four walls of the little tunnel they had to swim into and they had to swim back through that with a very narrow area. And the fourth one didn't do anything. And that scared them the most. When they flipped that fourth one, nothing happened. So, sure enough, after they opened the fourth one, a piece of the wall opens up, which was the wall was all carved and such because it was covered in all the moss and stuff that had been in there. Uh, They couldn't tell there was really a door. There ended up being a door. It wasn't that it was a secret door. It was just covered in stuff. So they go into the next room. And this room is actually stairs. Thank you, Ijarnik, for the sub. I appreciate that. Um, In this room, there's actually some stairs that went up that took them out of the water. Dry room for once. Um, And the floor is covered in metal plates. I say plates... because they have a frame... and then the plate in the center is raised. It looks like a big button. Every single one of them. It is not a trap, per se... because it's obvious... that if you step on this... something's going to happen. It's also not disarmable. It's not technically a trap. It is a mechanism... but there's no off button... that can disable it. She doesn't have... Danny can't do that. So in this situation... They just have to make their way across the best they can. Um, and it had there were different different plates did different things. Some shot arrows out of the wall. Uh, some had a big blade that came swinging through. There was all the classic dungeon stuff you'd, you'd think for. Uh, and there was a pattern to the plates. I did not have written down here what it was, but I remember there was a pattern to the plates uh, that I want to say there were symbols on them. And it, if two of the symbols were pressed at the same time, nothing happened. So they had to try to keep one person on that symbol while someone stepped from that symbol to that symbol to that symbol to, so everyone could move across. And it didn't matter which symbol it was. You just had to have two of the same symbol pressed down and nothing happened as long as you stayed on those symbols. There was another room after that. They had to fight some giant snakes. Because, you know, giant snakes, man. Fight some giant snakes in a snake place. Uh, that room was two-thirds of the way full, so that was a uh, a battle in the water against some snakes. Uh, and then they end up coming down to the last room. So the last room was not a room, but two. So when it shows up, it, it forks and goes around a corner, right? So imagine you get to a, a dead end where you can go left or right. And you walk two feet, and then it turns and you're both going north again. So it's a big, almost U-shaped room. or I right, guess Y-shaped is better, more accurate. Um, all these rooms, since the mechanism, this room here was dry again. Because, again, they keep going upstairs and downstairs. There's a lot of that. Um, And in this room, they find several large, again, pressure plates like they saw before. Um, And each one has symbols on it. And there are other ones on the other side. So it came down to a point of certain people had to be standing on certain pressure plates to move forward. And, again, there are signs and clues on the wall. And they have to search for those, which they did. And they were successful. Uh, when they did that, what was the the middle of the Y that I was talking about, where you had to go left or right? Actually, o- a door opens up there, and you can go up in between the two things that went north, the two passageways that went north. And so they head in there. Now, this room um, had four large snakes in it. Now, when I say giant snakes, I mean massive snakes, um, they were probably three or four feet wide at their, at their centerpiece. They were, they were very large snakes. And they had to fight all of them and then at the end of it, in the back, um, sitting on a chair was basically almost like a mummified corpse. I don't mean mummified like they wrapped him up in bandages. But there's a corpse that's just kind of sitting in the chair that's all sunken and just from the just being in there and the, the humidity, because it's humid, right, in the swamp and things like that. It's just almost like it's dried up into leather and it's got mold and stuff that's kind of on that. Titanoboa size? That's very accurate. Yes, I'd say very much like that. Yes, thank you. Yeah. It's like, have you ever saw the movie Anaconda? You know? Like the movie Anaconda, which was not a good movie. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a horrible movie, it was interesting. Uh, that had a big old snake in it. Um,. But yes, in that situation, so when they had that, um, they had to fight those. They find the thing in the back, and it's sitting there, and it has the necklace around it. And it also has a bracelet. The bracelet and the necklace do not look like they go together. Very different. The necklace is exactly like she said. It's... Uh, A gold necklace with a green gem, but the gold around it almost makes it look like um, a bug, like a scarab, almost like a beetle. The way the gem is laid in there, it almost looks like a golden beetle with a gem on it as its back. Uh, The bracelet appears to be silver, and it had a couple different gems on the back as well, um, but they were two red ones and a blue one in the center. Um... And they decide to take both of them. They do detect magic, of course. And they both... uh, The necklace only faintly detects magic. Which doesn't always mean anything. But it's just faint and not enough that you could tell what kind. Uh, The bracelet did detect as magical, so they took that. Um, It's a bracelet that I designed specifically. Um, And I don't know if I've talked to you guys about this before. But it's a bracelet that... Each of the gems basically acts like a holding thing. Uh, so I can have a sword in my hand. And I can sink it to that gem. So when I do, when I say the command word, the sword disappears out of my hand. It's now in that gem. I can say the command word. Each gem has its own word. And that weapon that's in that will pop into my hand. So I can be like, magic sword, ping, axe, ping. Dagger, fling, whatever I want. Uh, And it's a a bracelet that that holds three weapons of that type. Um. Hey, Muse. (laughs) This is for yesterday. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will add that to the total, and I will get that on there. Thank you very much for that donation. I will make sure that the animals get it. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Uh, Yesterday, I did a, a big charity stream... Uh, for my local animal shelter so uh, muse is putting a donation towards that we raised over four hundred dollars uh, for this animal shelter and I was can't tell you how how awesome it felt uh, to put that money into the actual Facebook charity today knowing that they were going to get that so thank you very much I will make sure that gets added on there right after the stream now when they take the the, the weapons and stuff uh, darsh takes the bracelet I, I, I'm gonna say takes the bracelet. It's determined Darsh is gonna get the bracelet. Mercy's already got her ring, that ports out, her, that teleports her her star wherever she is all the time. Um, so she doesn't really need it as much. Artemis isn't a melee fighter, and Dandy has all her daggers, but they're all sheathed all over. Darsh has several magical swords and axes at this point. He's got abstract to his back. He's got sword here, sword there, and sometimes in battle he drops a weapon or something. He has to then get the other one out. So it's determined it would be great for Darsh to have this because that's three of his best weapons that are now inside the bracelet. He can pop into his hand instantaneously. Now, that said, putting a weapon back in the bracelet is an action. So he can't replace one with the other one, right? Pops out his weapon. He wants a different one. He's got to pop that one back in and then pop the other one back out. There is a delay. It takes a few seconds. If he drops his weapon, he can't do anything with it. It has to be in his hand to pop it back in. If he drops it on the ground, he can pop out another one. And then later, when he has time, pop them back in again. Um, but they're basically linked to the bracelet. But Darsh has that, uh, and it ends up being very beneficial to Darsh in the future. Alright. So, they make their way out. Um, and they determine that they're not going to mess with any of the snake people. They already killed a bunch of snakes. Uh, that's ten. Uh, I got your muse. I got you, sir. I promise. Uh, Tomorrow night, that'll be first spin of the day, sir. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) So, uh... Darsh, they... they, they, He doesn't get this bracelet right now. This happens a little bit later. They're in the middle of the dungeon. They don't take time to identify it and him start sinking weapons to it. Although he does do it in the swamp before they really move forward. Uh, They do finish the Agatha thing first. So... They decide that they're not going to mess with the snake people... ...if they can help it. They killed a bunch of snakes. That might not be cool to the snake people... ...but technically the snake people didn't really look like... ...they were going to attack or be threatening in any way. So they decide to sneak back out. So Dandy... ...they all get in the chest of holding back at the door with the puzzle. Dandy sneaks out. She can't close the door. She's not strong enough. She leaves it open hoping that you know whoever figures that out... is after they're gone. And she manages to sneak out of the temple end the area, she almost got caught once she failed one roll and made a noise um, and she had to do a very quick hide and shadows to try to avoid being found uh, which she was successful at, but it was very close she almost got snagged uh, but she did not she was successful, and she manages to make it out when she gets back to everybody else that's outside still waiting cause they've been in there a few hours at this point they let everybody else out and uh, everybody's okay So they decide to make their way back to Agatha as quickly as they can and away from this place before the snake people notice what's happened and maybe have a problem with it. The reason I said Darsh didn't do the bracelet right then is because in that moment, they didn't know if that was something Agatha was going to want as well. You know what I mean? They found a bracelet and a necklace together. She said just a necklace. They find this bracelet. They didn't even identify it yet, so they didn't know it does this. Um, but then they return to Agatha. Who is ecstatic. To see them. Like very excited. To see them. And is overwhelmingly excited. To get the necklace. They said we also found this bracelet. She's like I don't care. Like she just dismissed it. She goes I don't care. She goes you brought me this necklace. I cannot tell you how long. How long I've wanted this necklace. How important this necklace is to me. Thank you so very much. I am happy. I am overwhelmingly overjoyed to give you the information that I've promised you. She does. She's straight up. She By the time she gets back, she's got this big ca- cauldron, for all intents big pot of some type of stew that has miscellaneous mystery meat in it. Uh, but it smells really good, and everybody gets some, because hot meals are not common in the swamp. Uh, and it tastes delicious. Um... At first, they're like, Is it poisoned? Is it a danger? And Darcy's like, I don't care, I'm eating it. <laughs> if I die, I'm going to die with a warm belly. Give me a bowl. And Darsh- so, but nobody was poisoned. Agatha wasn't trying to kill them. And she did give them the information that they were looking for. She, she tells them that they need to seek out a man na- named Darren Smithson. Smith's son. Sorry, I said that wrong. Darren Darim, with an M at the end. Not an N as in Nancy, M as in Mary. Darim, Smith's son. He lives in a very small village uh, located to the west. Nine days out of the swamp. She gives them a a map that she says is is old, but is still pretty accurate to that area as it's very high, into or very northern edge of Oramon. And very little has changed there. ...over the last several decades... ...even with the merge. Um, because once you get out of the swamp... ...which they, she tells them... ...that it's four more days to get out of it. And they're like, but it was getting drier to the north. She goes, that's... ...you, know, you got to go west. <laughs> it's going to get wetter. And he's they're like, oh crap. So they had four more days to chill in the swamp. And once they get out... ...it's going to take them nine days to reach this village. Um, but they accept the map. She's ecstatic. And she's almost like rushing them out. Like, you better get going. You're gonna be like, thank you very much. And she's, again, everybody eats their meal. They have a drink. They hang out. But they're, it's, it's midday. They're not going to camp there or anything. So they, she, they're like, okay, Aggie, thank you. She's like, ah, you've done me a boon. I'll never forget you. Great people. And so they head out back into the swamp and start heading west. Barely a minute goes by. Before Seamus calls out. Now you remember, Seamus is riding in the back of this party. Seamus is, is one of the last people coming along. He's kind of their rear tank, if you will. Everyone stops and draws their weapon quickly. His cry was quite a, in shock or surprise. Mercy and Darcy and Artemis, our heroes, are rushing to the back to see what's going on. So they're traveling single file. Right? So that way if somebody falls in a puddle, the other one doesn't. And Seamus points back towards Agatha's hill. And looking there, there is no longer a hut and there's no longer a hill. In fact, what they see is a relatively large lake. Pond, really. Looks like a large pond. Which her hill would have probably been square in the center of it. But there are no signs of any type of life or structure has ever been there. No hill, no garden, no goat, just water. I'm gonna eat a mint real quick. True to her directions, the party takes almost exactly four days to reach the edge of the swamp. A day before they reach there, they can tell they're getting there. The water is less and less. They're running into less wild vegetation. This entire four days is one of the most peaceful days in time period they've had in the swamp. They're not attacked by anything large. No major issues. Plenty of food. Um, But finally, after four days, they make their way out of the swamp. And I'm sure you can imagine... The swamp... This is Merge World. So the the swamp has a hard cut. Right? So it's swamp. It's kind of swamp. It's not really swamp. Bam! It's dry land. I could take one step backwards... And I'm in a swamp. I can take one step forward... I'm in a valley. Or plains. That's how Merge World works. Right? Solid lines. They do not merge. And merge worlds. Don't question me. So... <laughs> so very... Immediately they're on dry land, and I can't tell you how excited they were for that. They know they still have nine days to travel. Now, they've been traveling for several months at this point, right? They've been traveling for a couple of months, and they still keep in touch. They've got their little globes, and they're able to keep touch with what's going on back in Serenity. At this point, they're advised by Ulrich nothing's going bad, nothing has happened. Um, they're all a little frustrated they didn't come with them. The children are all fine. True to his word... Uh, Tobias has not left Serenity. He's been there the entire time um, and has cons- and advised him consistently that he has got s- that no one's going to get into Serenity without him knowing it at this point. So they continue on, confident that everything's okay back home and they everyone back home knows they're okay. And that was an important part of making this quest work, right? Because you can imagine that. These people aren't just. Adventurers anymore. These are kings and queens and high priests. These are businessmen and women. These are people of importance who have lives and responsibilities. They have families now. Hey, we're going to disappear for four months. I mean, you just can't do that. Um, so it, it had to be more of a. They had to have a way of keeping in touch with the people. Isn't that right, Patches? You come to visit me again. Patches is back. Yes, you are. So. That's kind of where we ran into. I had to, I had to start providing them a way to make sure everybody was okay at home, or else justifiably, I just don't think they would ever leave. You know, I know there's danger out there, but I can't leave not know, without knowing what's going on in my kingdom. Not that they could just get back there very quickly, you know. But I guess the thought in the back of their mind was, if there was a real emergency and they had to get back to Serenity, they could break that hourglass and have Tobias open up a portal. You know, that's not what it was intended for, but in, if that's what had to happen, they could. They didn't tell him that, but that was their plan. So they travel nine days without incident. Um, Several times they see what appear to be small villages or farmsteads. um, And they're a little bit more common. So at this point, they actually start avoiding them as much as they could. They want information. But according to their map, those aren't the towns that they're looking for. So they best not bring any type of attention to themselves if they don't have to. The land is very passable. Plenty of food and water available through hunting and vegetation and rivers and such and fishing. So they don't really need supplies. All they really need is information. They have a map to to the place they're going, which is a town named Doves Bend. Right? Yes? Doves? I said that already? Yes, Doves Bend. So they travel to get there. And it takes them nine days. When they arrive at the town of Doves Bend, they can see that this is a bigger town than many of the other ones they've seen. This one's been here for a while. Uh, Multiple businesses, multiple homes, uh, everything you'd expect to see, blacksmithy, all that kind of stuff. And it even appears to have a couple decent roads going through it. People on horseback or even wagons passing through. This is an actual hub of probably some of the smaller towns in the area. And it seems very peaceful. I'm sure there's some walls and such and signs of uh, some type of protection. But they don't see anything that they would call Empire uh, uh, symbolism. They don't see people walking around in the armor of the Empire or anything like that. It appears to be more of local protection. And sure enough, there's a sign. Doves Bend. They head that direction. Now, as you can expect, as is wont to happen... And one of the reasons why they avoided up to this point this is not just a group of people walking down the road this is an incredibly well-armed well-armored incredibly diverse in race group of people marching up to this town you got two minotaurs in there you've got elves obviously humans kender the scariest of all marching up the marching up the road because there's a little road up to get to Dove's bend. Once again, a bell is heard ringing and sure enough, multiple people armed come to the edge of the town where our characters would be walking up to that section of it. And they're armed, but they don't have their weapons drawn. There's a man in front who's clearly in charge. Mercy and Artemis... Start to walk... Everybody else kind of backs a little off a little bit... While they, they kind of get ahead. With Lucas, of course. Lucas. Just, that's the way it works. So Mercy, Artemis, and Lucas. Now again... Very quickly... They, re, they, they notice Artemis. Right? I've said it a million times. Artemis is their golden ticket. This is not only a cleric of healing... Which you can imagine... In an empire that's only allowed to worship Pandora, a cleric of healing comes marching up. That's pretty cool. Not only that, an elf. In a nation that is, as far as they know, 99% human. They've only run into a few non-humans in Ormon. 99% human. She's an elf. She's a very pretty elf. People get very quickly taken in by that. Lucas wearing an obvious armor and tabard of the temple uh, and her symbol could very easily be seen. Okay, here's someone to protect her. Mercy has her own tabard and gear on. She's not wearing it. Or she has her gear on. She's not wearing any of her serenity tabards. They left that off just to be on the safe side. But wearing the temple stuff is fine. And they don't draw their weapons either. So when they approach, they introduce themselves. They're like, Hello? Mercy? This is Artemis. This is uh, Artemis' head of security. <laughs> Which in itself sounds impressive. Head of security. She goes, um, We're traveling through these lands uh, on an uh, important mission for the Lord. <laughs> for, we're, yeah, we're traveling through. I'm, I'm on, a, um, I'm on a, a quest from my god. Which is not untrue. She's not lying. Um, and that would be understood. It's not uncommon for a cleric, especially one of high rank, to maybe have to do some type of special thing uh, for their lord. So, And she's definitely of rank. You can tell that by her robes. Anybody who knows what clerics is going to say, this is a cleric's robes, you know they're of high rank. And traveling with them, there's a paladin back there, and there's another minotaur cleric. And she like my entourage are helping escorting me on this quest, and our quest has brought us to this town. Now the men are Murmuring men and women, there's a group of people there with weapons, murmuring, Oh, really? What have you brought me here for? What do we get involved? The man up front, who introduced himself as Willem, uh, says, You know, he's the mayor of this town, and he's like, He goes, Well, well, we are honored that you would, you know, come to our small little town here. I have to say, of course, force like what you've got traveling with you is is, is, is a little unsettling. You are clearly arm, you have many armored. Weapon warriors with you. Um, but I 100%, I, I honestly trust you for who you are. What brings you here? They said, Well, we're looking for someone. So, someone here that has some information that we need. Uh, and then you know, once we have that, we're going to continue on. And he actually looks a little relieved. He's like, Oh, okay. Well. One moment. Andre's membership just renewed for the third month. Thank you, Andre. <laughs> uh, but he says, "Oh, that's oh good. You carry on. We, I like the sound of that. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, so you need to talk to someone. We can do that. Uh, is there? Do you know who it is you're looking for?" And Artemis goes, "Yes, yes. His name is Darum Smithson." And everybody gets quiet. And Willem knows. Willem says. Darum, you say? And now he looks a little suspicious. And what is it you need from Darum? Uh, They're like, well, we're we're actually trying to find something. Um, We're told that he knows where it is and that we need to speak with him to uh, get directions, basically, for all intents and purposes. We're trying to find a place and we're told he has the directions we need. And they're like, well, maybe I know. I mean, I know these lands pretty well. Maybe I know the directions. Save you the tri- the, the, the the hassle. What is it you're looking for? Oh, Jonas says mine renewed, but I didn't get that moment to see you. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it, it it only only occasionally does it pop up. Usually, people who joined memberships during a, a stream, it'll sometimes pop up during another stream. Doesn't happen for everybody. Uh, plus, some people are on auto-renew. So, if, if he had just logged in and re- renewed it manually right now, that would have made it pop up. So it's, uh, it's cool, but it's never known what's going to happen, right? well um, what is it you're looking for? Artemis is like, well... And he decides, to be honest, because we're looking for a mythical tower. <laughs> uh, basically, it's a tower dedicated to the gods. I'm on a pilgrimage to it, and I'm told Dennis knows where it is. His eyes open wide. He's like, ooh, well... Yeah, I don't know where that is. Yeah, I guess you uh, guess you will need to speak with Den or Darren. If you don't mind, um, Darren's a bit older. Um, it might be better if just a few of you came to see him at once. And he's looking nervously back at the Minotaurs and stuff. And Armist and look back like, oh, we understand. Yes, only a few of us need to bother him, of course. Uh, maybe the others of our party would be able to uh, purchase some supplies while they're here. We definitely have some coin, and we haven't come across the town in a little while. I'm sure there's some goods and services that we'd we'd love to spend some coin on. And the Mayor's like, oh well, then yes, please. Everybody else could go shopping. Darsh, hearing all this, he, he kind of steps up and he says, "All right, I'll I'll take these these other guys shopping. We'll go get all the supplies and stuff. You go talk to Darren." And so Mercy and Artemis and Dandy and Lucas. End of the two mages. They take the mages in this situation, because you know, again, Marcus has been on the or Magnus, I'm sorry, Magnus has been on the older side himself, and uh, they're like, hey, maybe old man to old man. We don't know, but magic might be helpful. So this is the group that they decide to take with them to meet Darum. and will decide he escorts them himself, um, and takes him uh, kind of to the edge of town, a little bit on the other side. Um, But a very nice, cozy little cottage uh, is best the way to describe it. Um, It is uh, very well cared for and maintained. Um, I mean, you look at it, it's probably the house in town that looks the best. Like, you know, buildings look like they have some wear to them, weather, paint fades. You know, they don't, in this type of medieval type kind of thing, not everybody has blue and red and green paint unless you're a kender or a gnome, but the average person doesn't have that. It's whitewashing and such, things that you can get a hold of, and that fades in the sun. His house looks like it was just built yesterday, but you could tell it's not. The house is overwhelmingly maintained. Uh, the flowers and stuff in the garden, the bushes, it's immaculate how nice this house looks. Willem walks up to the door. He knocks. It opens a couple minutes later, and there's a a middle-aged woman inside. She sees Willem and they speak for a moment. And she looks at that, our party members and she's like, okay. And Willem invites them inside. They come in. Again, it's a, it's a small little cottage but it's got a nice size little living room. You, your entryway actually brings you in through the kitchen. Uh, where There's the smells of home cooking and all that kind of stuff. And then there's inside the living room, there is a nice fireplace rolling. Uh, it, the room's a little on the warm side. Just a little on the warm side. Which, very often, if you've ever been in the home of someone elderly, is quite common. I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm just saying it as a factual. Very often, if you go into a home of elderly folks, it's going to be a bit warmer. Uh, it just, that's just how things are. Uh, so, they go in there. It's a little bit warmer. Uh, the People in robes are like, oh, great. <laughs> Thankfully, Darsh isn't here. Um, but they come in, and sure enough, sitting on a chair next to the fireplace... Is an older man. He looks like he's probably in his 80s. An older gentleman. Uh, his clothing is uh, very very simple, but very well made, very clean and pressed. He looks well cared for. A nice haircut. little bit of a little bit of a, a, a short beard, just a very short one. Uh, but immediately, the thing they notice more than anything else is that he's blind. Willem. Steps in and says, "Daram," and I was like, "Ah, Willem, welcome. What brings you by?" He says, "Well, Willem, uh, I have a group of travelers that were coming through town, and they actually came to speak with you specifically. They say it's important that they have a moment of your time. Would you mind speaking with them?" Daram's like, "Oh, I'm always happy to speak with visitors or guests. Of course, of course. Bring them in. Bring them in, Willem." Kind of waves them in the room, and there's a couple of chairs, but uh, you know Artemis takes a chair, and Mercy takes a chair. Everybody else kind of sits around on the floor. It's like, oh, oh, this a, I can tell. There's a bunch of you out there. Who do we have today? Who do we have? Artemis introduces herself, and so does Mercy, and everybody. they don't say their names. Say, Hi, we're travelers coming through. I'm a cleric of Tavian, um, and I'm traveling with uh, friends and loved ones as we're seeking out uh, something that we're told that might you might be able to help us out with. Um, he says, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to help. Of course. And they're like, well, um, we're looking for a tower. Uh, it's supposed to be somewhere in the west of Ormon and it's supposed to be a very holy place uh, dedicated to the gods. Now, as... As they're talking, his face kind of gets a little more serious. The smile just gets just a little bit a little bit smaller. He's like, Oh really? Okay, yes, I I believe I know what you speak of. And you say you're looking for this place. You're trying to find this tower. They said, Yes, yeah, yeah, we are. We're we're kind of on a pilgrimage there. It's important that we find it as soon as possible. And he smiles and says, Okay, well I'm happy to help if I can. But may I ask May I have your names? Mercy goes, well, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, and and then my name is Mercy. And she's honest. I'm queen of uh, kingdom of serenity. This is Artemis Silverstar. She is the high cleric of the temple of serenity. And as the names are being read out, his smile comes back. It's actually bigger than before, and he goes, ah, yes, yes. Excellent then, yes. Then I would be happy to share with you what I know of the Tower." I can tell you my story. This is Darum's story. In his youth, Darum had been a soldier of the Empire, proudly serving in the 5th Regiment. If you'll remember, Oramon, all of theirs are by the 5th. The army they fought at one point was the 12th uh, in the very first Battle of Serenity. So to be in the 5th rank is actually a pretty good... You're, you're above middle in that one. He tells them that he was part of a group sent far to the north to help quell an uprising of the last ogre tribes. The uh, northern border of Oromon was a, a mountainous area. And living all along the edge of those, in the land just south of those mountains, uh, were several ogre tribes that had been there for generations. And the land was... Uh, Pretty good land, and Ormon had been trying to take the land, and the ogres keep trying to take the land back. They've been fighting over it for many years. Darren was excited, as he'd never ever traveled far from the capital before. Darren had spent his entire life serving in or near the capital, or some of the small towns around it. The capital city being, of course, where Mercy and Darsh were fighting in the arenas many many years ago. Uh, Darren says describes himself, I, he was a very quiet young man who kept to himself. Uh, he, he didn't have a lot of friends per se, um, but, you know, I did my job. I served loyally. Um, I was respected as I respected those. I, I was never a problem maker at all. But he explains that he'd been raised by his uncle because his father had died when he was very, very young. His mother died in childbirth, but his father died when he was just a very young boy. Uh, his father had, and he says this part very proudly, that his father had been a captain in the 2nd Regiment. Um, and so he died in battle and very honorable and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's something he's very proud of. Now, Darren's uncle raised him, uh, he himself had no child, children of his own, uh, raised him secretly worshipping Menara, goddess of light you got to understand he's telling this to people he doesn't know and technically can't see. In a country where worshipping another god is technically against the law. But he's just telling that to Artemis and Mercy and Friends without any fear or concern. So he'd raised secretly worshipping Menara, um, goddess of light. And while Darum did not agree with a lot of the things the empire did, doesn't agree with a lot of his stance of... ...slavery and the things that that's allowed... ...doesn't agree with the only Pandora-worshipping... ...which again, had only been that way for a while. It wasn't always that way. He was a patriot... ...and so he joined the military at a young age... ...hopefully one day to... you know ...bring honor to his father's name... ...eventually have a family of his own... ...so on and so forth. The fact that his father died in, this, in the second... ...in battle... ...actually passes on to him... ...a lot of opportunities... Um, he'll get the chance that some people wouldn't because of that. Um, And he he did his best to make good on those. So they headed north. Again, traveled for weeks and months, far from any lands he'd ever been to before. And he says when he left the the, uh, capital city, he never dreamed he'd never be back. His group was part of several different forces that were fighting the Ogres, pushing them further and further to the north. Uh... The empire had been winning. The ogres were losing in numbers. Um, there had been a, a bad sickness the year before that had taken a lot of the ogres out, almost like a, a minor plague kind of thing, uh, that had really weakened the ogre tribes that were remaining. Uh, and the empire, who had not been affected by that, felt it was a good opportunity to take advantage of their loss of numbers and to try to, for once in a while, either eliminate or fully push them out of these lands. There have been several battles. But at this point, uh, Dan was part of a group of 50 men who were scouting a specific area. They were scouting an area to see there was a, a believed to be some additional ogres in this area. and, he, and 50, or he was part of 50 people who were scouting out that area. What unfortunately happened is there was an ambush. Uh, they were attacked not only by ogres, but the ogres had with them a hill giant. The 50 men fought. ...for their best... ...but they were outnumbered... Uh, ...at least they... ...well they were evenly numbered... ...but the hill giant was an issue... ...and during the battle... Darren was struck hard in the head... ...he was unconscious... ...he woke up sometime later... ...having difficulty breathing... ...buried underneath something heavy... ...it took him several moments... ...to climb out from underneath... ...the dead ogre that laid upon him... ...struggling he climbed out... ...looked around... ...and all he saw were bodies both human and ogre, and even the dead hill giant. He saw no survivors. Who actually won, if anyone survived at all? He didn't know, but the approximate count, he counted for pretty much all of his men. He wasn't in charge, but the men that he was involved with. Every one of his group was dead, but it also appeared almost, if not all, of the ogres and the giant were dead as well. So if anyone survived, it wasn't many. He did his best to treat his wounds. He had a little bit of medical training as a soldier. You get some of that. And he gathered up what supplies he could find. Um, Some food, some things. Got his knife, his weapons. And decided he was going to try to make his way back to his command. By this point, it was late afternoon. And he only traveled for an hour or two until he decided he needed to make camp. He was still feeling very weak from the hit in the head. Probably had a concussion. um, And he decided he was going to stop, make something, and try to get a camp. He has a small fire. And he was tried to keep a smoke if there were still ogres around. he just enough to cook some food and, and put it out and tried to get some sleep. That night, he was attacked. Darum says he never saw the creature. It was pitch black. But it was humanoid, but larger. And the sounds it made, the snarling, unlike anything you'd ever heard. It moved quickly and he felt it grab at him. And all he could do was try to fight back. But when he hit the thing, it's almost like he was hitting metal. It sounded like a, almost like a clang, whether he was hitting a hard bone or a shell. It was too dark for him to see anything. He was fighting in the dark, and he ended up stumbling backwards. The creature backed away, and he, after he hit him with the sword, his sword broke. The creature seemed to back off for a moment, and Darren used this as an opportunity to flee. And he ran through the small forest area he was staying in, And the only thing he had with him was his knife. Everything else he had to leave. He wandered for days. Living off the land the best he could. He found himself wandering further and further... Into into a, a forest that was deeper and deeper. And he lived off the land as best he could... With his knife. Water and streams when he could. But the problem was... A, he was lost. He didn't know these lands. He didn't know where. And that night when the creature attacked, he just ran as far as he could all night long. Every time he thought he was have a moment to breathe, he heard the thing. He could hear it tracking him. And sure enough, every night he could hear it tracking him. He tried getting a little sleep during the day. He was just traveling, trying to find some form of civilization. A place where he could get some help. Maybe a weapon to protect himself. Maybe... News of where the rest of his command was. But every night the creature hunted him. He never saw it again. It never got close, but he could hear it. He knew it was coming. Darren says he doesn't know how long he spent in that forest. Could have felt like weeks, could have been months. He didn't know. But he stumbled through there just living off the land, almost like an animal, as best he could. All he had was his dagger. And then one day, middle of the day, he stumbled into a large clearing. This was the first clearing he'd seen in these woods. These woods were very thick, dense almost, and they seemed old. The further he went in, the older the trees seemed, the larger they were. The more sounds of nature got louder and a little bit wilder at times. In the center Of this large clearing was an oddly built tower. He says "odd" because the stones seemed unlike any rock he'd seen from where he was, and the temple didn't, or the tower didn't, really match any normal architectural style that was Oromon. Looking at it, he could see it looked very old, if not ancient. And he didn't know of any other civilizations up in this area. Technically, he thought where he was now was. Mostly ogre lands until the last couple generations. So no humans had lived up in here. And looking at that, he could see there's no ogre made this. This tower is no way, way too fancy or nice or sturdy to be built by an ogre. He saw that the tower doors were open. Big double doors at the base. And as he approached the tower, he started to feel a profound sense of peace, a calming. He'd been living on the edge for weeks at this point, hunted, afraid to sleep in case whatever it was chasing him caught back up to him or finally found him. At times he felt like it was just playing with him. But here in this clearing, as he approaches this tower, that fear, that nervousness, that paranoia washed away and he felt that profound sense of peace. As he walked into the tower, he no longer felt tired or hungry. There at the center of the tower was a beautiful fountain. He went forward and he drank from it, and the waters refreshed him. There were spiral stairs winding up the sides of the tower. Two sets of stairs on opposite sides, both heading up. Heading to the floors above, he felt drawn upwards, making his way up those stairs. On each floor he came to, he found several doors, all closed. Some of the doors seemed inviting, almost pulling him. Some of the doors made him feel fear, or disgust, or repulsion. He wanted nothing to do with them but each door had a different symbol carved on it well like a like a metal disc on the wooden door with a carving in the metal disc and each one symbols of the gods he recognized eventually even coming to one that he saw was the symbol of pandora god worshiped by his people still he continued climbing the stairs on the very top floor there were only 3 doors. All diametrically opposed, you know, like a Y shape. Okay. Each of these symbols were of the three elder gods. God of Minara, goddess of light, goddess of neutrality, goddess of darkness, god of darkness. And he saw these doors. And he saw Minara's door and for the first time he felt his hand reach out and grasp the handle on the door. And as he turned, it turned easily with no sound. And the door opened and he stepped inside. The room was brightly lit by an unseen source. Items and relics of wonder and value were everywhere. Symbols of goodness, weapons that clearly were held by those who worshiped and defended the light, armor, jewels. It was then that he heard her voice. It was soft and beautiful and filled him with love and tears began to flow from his eyes. It told him that he was a man of strong faith, a light in a land ruled by darkness. The voice said she had a quest for him, a duty. It was his choice and if he was to choose to accept it, it would be difficult and there may be loss. Darum could barely speak, managing only to say, to serve would be my greatest honor. The voice led him through the room to a small chest. It appeared silver, with small gems. He was told to take the chest, but not to open it. What was inside was not for him. He was told to go east and to seek out the dove in need. He was confused by this. He didn't know what it meant, but he bowed and then made his way back out the door and out the tower. As he was told, he traveled east as quickly as he could, barely stopping to rest or eat. What little food and drinks he could find, he made of. No longer did he sense the beast was chasing him. He just traveled with great urgency, pulled to the east. He felt no hunger and he felt no pain. Those injuries and stuff that had been bothering him were gone. He didn't feel any of it. The elements did not harm him. No matter how hard the wind blew, how much it rained or how cold or how hot, just washed over him. And he continued. He had but a single thought. To find the dove. Several times he came across other people, and creatures, humanoids different kind. Those of any ill intent avoided him very much, almost scared to be in his presence. Most others that found him thought he a madman. Understand at this point, his hair had grown, his beard is extended, his clothes disheveled, probably even falling apart. His knife was even gone at this point, lost. Clothing just rags. Still he travels. Finally, After weeks of travel, he came across a small farm, like others he'd found before. There was a farmer tending his field. At first, he saw Darum and thought Darum had been the victim of some type of brigand. Criminals. Are you okay, sir? Can I help you? Darren asked the same question he asked of everyone. Had he seen the dove? Does he know where he can find the dove in need? Darum's voice barely a whisper. The farmer scratched his head in confusion. I've not seen any doves, he says. Unless you mean Dove's Bend. The farmer explained that several days to the north of this, of his camp was a, of his farm was a small town, known as Dove's Bend. Usually there's some people would go to trade, there was a small market there. Could that be the dove he's looking for? Darren was overjoyed. Immediately wanting to leave. Can I get you Food. I may have some old pants. You need some shoes. Your, your feet are. You got no shoes on. Darren hadn't even noticed. Can I, do you want anything? He's like, No, I have to go. I must find the dove. And he immediately left north. Happy, ecstatic that he might have found the thing he's been, so, he'd been seeking, that the goddess of light herself told him to find. All he had was that little chest that is in his hands at all times. He traveled non-stop... ...reaching the village late in the night... ...traveled for several days without sleep... ...exhausted at this point... ...but still he went on... ...as he, re- he reached the village... ...late into the night... ...probably... ...one, two o'clock in the morning... ...at the earliest... ...when he finally came across the town... ...and through everything... ...Darham was still a soldier... ...he was still very well trained... ...and immediately... He knew something was wrong. Colonel says, Thank you, Draven, for allowing me to... have to. You are very welcome, Colonel. You are very welcome. <laughs> Hope it goes really well for you, man. Um, goodness. Uh, let's see. Immediately, he knew something was wrong. The small town was well too lit for this late at night. He could see, just as he's approaching the town, a light coming from the town center itself. Not like the buildings are on fire, but just well too bright. Many torches or a big fire of some kind. He, he, He moved slower, more carefully, watching. As he reached the edge of town, it was then he saw the first undead invader. It was clearly the corpse of an ancient warrior of some kind, well armored, still bearing a heavy sword. The creature's face basically gone, just a skull at this point, but a glowing red energy coming from its eyes. Darren was very careful to avoid it as he continued to sneak through the town and make his way towards the city's center. As he, as he approached it, peering around the corner of a building, he could see the townsfolk surrounded by more of the undead ancient warriors. Nearby, on a large horse made of death itself, sat a being of pure evil. Its skeletal face grinned evilly as it reached forward and touched, ever so lightly, the forehead of one of the citizens. The poor man's body began to shake and convulse as its life was drawn from him, and then he crumbled to the ground, a husk. This evil thing, this source of darkness, motioned to the warriors for another person to be brought forward. Darum could not allow that to go on any further. He moved quickly, running towards the town folks, The small chest held out before him. Several of the undead saw him, but none would move towards him, held back by the now glowing chest in his hands. He burst through the townsfolk, pushing his way before the demon on the horse. What is the meaning of this, spoke the minion of death. Darren stepped before the next citizen, a young pregnant woman who was next to feed this creature. Before him, he held up the chest. Seeing it, the creature cried out, turning its horse and attempting to flee. With almost no voice left, behold the light, whispered Darren as he opened the chest. A blinding light filled the entire town. Townsfolk stumbled backwards, hiding their eyes. You could hear the undead screaming out in pain and anguish. And Darren just stood there, basking in the light of his goddess. It was in that moment that Darren saw things, things that had come to pass, things that would come to pass. Signs, sights, many, many different things was he given the opportunity to see. And a moment later, the light faded. All of the undead were gone. All that lay upon the ground was ash, and the chest sat on the ground empty. And Darren would never see anything else again. The townsfolk of of Doves Bend knew Darren was their hero. He'd saved their lives. And since then, he has lived here, being taken care of, provided for, by the people of the city. Uh, He is a town hero and is treated as such. They're very, very protective of him. Darren explains that the forest that he found the tower in was far, far to the west, near the old ogre home, the lands to the north. He says even though he was in much of a stupor, he he knows approximately where the forest was. He remembers where his command was, and over the years has managed to figure out approximately where the woods were, though he never shared that with anyone else. He says he can give them information that he believes will help them find it. But he warns them, the forest is huge and filled with beasts and creatures that are dangerous and are unwelcoming. Also, must be careful because if they travel too far to the north, they also run the risk of running into the last of the ogre tribes, which still live along that border from what he's heard. He answers some questions when he remembers of the tower and such. And his memory's pretty good, uh, even at his age, he's, he's told this story you can tell many times. He's, and yet every time it's probably been identical. He's not some he hasn't had to embellish anything. He speaks only. He, only, he doesn't consider himself a hero. He considers only uh, a loyal servant of the gods and was given an opportunity to save many, many lives. Willem, also uh, very very um, protective of him, uh, because that was his uh, grandma, who was the pregnant, who was pregnant with Willem's father. And Willem's like, I wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. Again, he was a young soldier in his twenties, right? Now he's 80, sixty years old, that kind of thing. Willem's not that old himself. Sitting over the fireplace, everybody, the whole time the story is going on, keeps looking at it. But there's a small silver chest with some small, probably relatively expensive or valuable gems in them. And it sits there, polished and shining like it was just made yesterday. Darum smiles because he, he knows what they're looking at. And he tells Mercy, if you'd like to touch it, you can. It's okay. It's just a chest now. The magic that was inside of it saved my people. And now it is just a memory of, of the most important day of my life. Mercy, in fact, I'll take it down and look at it. And again, it, it's very well made. Uh, they would never say it's a specific craftsmanship. They would never say it's dwarven or elven or even human. It's just unique. Mercy gently lays it back up in its place of honor. They decide to spend a day day here, a place they can finally rest. There's an inn, they get some rooms, purchase lots of supplies because, again, they know they're about to travel even further. And it's during this time that they have to decide what route are they going to take. Speaking with Darum and now Willem, who knows a little bit more of the area, again, as before, the Empire doesn't really come up this far anymore. (laughs) Ever since the merge, the Empire's not been... Worried too much about the north, because at the top of the north is again all sorts of things. There's a swamp, there's the mountains, there's the ogres. It's not really anything worth plundering up there. That's all to the uh Serenity and Southern Kingdoms direction, right? So they have to decide which route they want to go. And they find that there are two directions, speaking with Willem. They in the inn, Willem's chatting with them, making plans. Everybody in town's totally cool with them at this point, because they've spent a lot of money. A lot of money. And again, that the best way to make to, to win somebody over, right? Because every town is always struggling a little bit, right? So they know there's two options, the way they work it out. They can head west and then go north. This will avoid the mountainous ogre area and bring them up approximately around uh, coming up south into those woods. The only issue with that is... they'll be going through several... relatively large settlements. Um, some of the towns in that area... have grown over the years. There's still plenty of good farmland... in this, er- in this area. This ends re- On this side of the swamp... it's pretty fruitful. Um, and it's his understanding... that there is... some empire presence... in some of those villages. Whether it's enough to cause are heroes any problem? They don't know, but there's that concern. If we go that way, you know, Tobias is shielding them. He's hiding them. At least, he's, as far as they know, it's still working. They're trying to stay out of the Emperor's eyes until they can get there. Because again, they're trying to beat him, right? They want to get to the tower first. The second option is, to avoid these towns, they could go north along the mountain's edge. But then they're traveling through old Ogre's home. Ogre's Home being the name of that area. so almost was their, their, their country. Ogre's, they're, they're, I don't have a name for it, but the, the Ogre's Home is basically what the name meant. The Ogre word meant Ogre's Home. So that's just what they called it as well. That direction, they would have definitely avoided any type of human settlements or Oromon settlements. The Empire, again, not worried about going north, really haven't been pushing against the Ogres any longer at the same time. Uh, there's not a lot of Ogres left. And they haven't made any real south. The occasional small attack on a farmstead or something, but usually something minor. And what little oromon presence there can hold them off. But going that direction does run them in the chance of maybe running into the Ogres. But it'll definitely keep them out of Oromon's way. So, um... I will say, many of you guys ask me... uh, I get This is just an aside from the story. I get a lot of questions from people who play Dungeons & Dragons and ask about storytelling and ask about how to get people on the path that they should go to. Uh, This is a good example of how I DM. I created both of these options for them. I have an adventure and things that will happen to them or they'll be involved in whichever route they go. They're going to pick one, and I'm never going to use the rest of that material. That's the other way. I might find a way to repurpose it some way down the road, but in this situation, I didn't. So they got to pick which way they went. I had two adventures ready, both of them ending at the same place. But which one they picked had a direct effect on the story. It still allowed me to get them where I needed them to be, while at the same time giving them the opportunity to choose their own path. Um, And it worked very well. Our heroes decided to go north and gamble the ogres. So north it was. The next day, again, after making sure that they have... uh, everything they need, all the supplies they were looking for. Artemis and Mercy make one last stop to say goodbye to Darum, uh, who wishes them the very best and warns them to be careful, again, whichever path they're taking. And so they head north. Now, heading north, the first part of this is going to be relatively easy, because as I mentioned, there are some roads, and there's some small towns in this area, but they're going to be able to avoid most of the Oromon because it's the further they go west, the more the larger villages are. But as long as they keep to the road for the next couple of days, the road will eventually end in another small town. They can be, literally just go through that town and keep heading north northwest uh, until they get to the base of the mountains. If they follow the mountains and a rough map that Willem was able to draw out based on um, Darum's instructions and directions. It's still going to take a while. It's a distance away. Uh, but they have a path now. And that's the direction that they took. And traveling those couple days on the road, passing through one... It was two small towns. One town ending at the other one. The most northern village in this area. And in each situation, they brought, they had a letter from Willem saying that these, they'd passed through and they were friends and they were, everything was okay uh, with that letter from Willem. The town didn't give... No the towns gave them a problem. And they made a point of, you know... Picking up a little supplies in each town. Each town has something the other one doesn't. Maybe it's a food thing they couldn't get somewhere else. Maybe this town has a lot of cheese. Maybe this town has a lot of wine. I guarantee you there is some bevs in that chest of holding. Darsh and Mercy are not going... This many months without a drink. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm just saying... They've got a wheel they spin too. Trust me. <laughs> so... Finally, they leave that final village... and they're heading north-northwest. So... I'll tell you... just as a brief aside... had they chosen to go to the other route... they would have come to a village that had... an Oramon commander... and a decent-sized contingent of military there... that they would have had to either defeat... Ally with or pay off. It was different paths they could have taken with that, but they never went that direction. So they never came to the town of Raspy Hollow, and they did not have to deal with him. So maybe one day down the road, I'll bring him out for something else. Instead, they went north. See here. So they travel uh, north northwest. Uh, for probably four or five days after they leave that last village. Um, as they're traveling this direction, um, there's still a decent supply of water, rivers, and streams. Um, there's some animal life, deer, rabbits, things of that nature. Uh, but the land definitely starts to get more rocky. Um, and they could tell that they're going up, like they're altitude-wise. And in the distance, they can see the mountain range. and They're, they're pretty big. Pretty big mountains. Not as big as the snowy ones they had to go through with the beholder thing they dealt with a couple episodes ago. Uh, But still a decent-sized mountain range. Um, And they're traveling that way. And as the ground gets rockier, you can tell this is definitely getting worse and worse for farmland. It's not level in many places. They find at times they're having to climb uh, just small hills or rocky outcroppings or round boulders and such that would definitely make it hard to farm in this area. Um, they do see the occasional small home or farmstead remains where someone may have tried. Uh, a lot of these homes look like they're very damaged or burned. Um, the understanding there that these ones were too far north and the ogres probably attacked some of the ones I talked about earlier where there were still some attacks. Uh, so they definitely are you know, seeing that. They don't find any other people living north of that last village. They don't want to get too close to the mountains. A, they don't want to climb mountains, right? They're in a hurry here. But they know that if they're relatively north to it, then they can avoid the other towns that they're not having to deal with. And traveling while slow is relatively smooth. Uh, They don't run into any problems. There's no things to fight. There's no real monsters up here. They don't run into the empire at all. So that stuff allows them to travel pretty smooth. They just don't make as much... Uh, distance as they were before because of the difficulty of the terrain. Um, And as they find themselves really getting to the base of these mountains, um, they stop heading north and go start heading straight west. And they do that for about three days. Now again, just today, think about how much time has passed for these folks, right? Days in the swamp, nine days to get to, Doves Bend, Two more days to get to the northern village. Several days north. Now three more days. It's already been several weeks since they they met met, uh, Agatha. These folks are just being away from their families for a long time. And they still don't know exactly how much further they have to go. Mm -hmm. The incident happens relatively early in the day probably 10 or 11 o'clock a.m. before noon the sun's not yet reached the height of the center of the sky and they're traveling through an area that's particularly rocky and they're having to a couple of times having to stop and double back because they're getting to areas where it's just not really climbable um, some, some days it's relatively smooth they walk with these some days it's just rocky this is one of those it's in one of these rocky outcroppings that they are set upon by the ogres. They had been watching for the ogres. They had been worried that this could happen. But even with their preparations, the ogres got the jump on them. And the ogres, literally, they they following one of these paths. They get to almost like a dead end where they have to stop and turn around. But the ogres have instead cut off their retreat. And now they're surrounded by a rock on three sides... ...with a contingent or group of ogres... ...behind them. They draw their weapons... ...of course. They're not idiots. prepared to fight these ogres... ...but it is not... ...a small group of ogres. There are at least... ...50 to 60 ogres... ...in this group. They don't have time to really... ...size them up... ...but they prepare to fight. Surprisingly... An ogre steps forward tells them to put their weapons down and to basically give up. You are outmatched. What you see... The ogre's speaking, speaking broke broken common, but bear with me. He's like, what you see behind me is only partial of my forces? Look up. And they do. And above them, on the upper edge of the roads. Are a bunch more ogres and with great big rocks. Like big rocks. He goes, you cannot win. I see you have many weapons. I see you have magic. You still cannot win. You do not have to die here today. Now our heroes are in a conundrum. They are not the give up kind. But at the same time, this is, a, this is a large force. And they've got some great warriors with them. These are ogres. They're big. And trying to do this, I mean, just they could get stoned from the top before they ever get to fight an ogre in person. Um, it's a problem. Mercy is not one to give up. She's like the first one of you that steps. Because it's kind of like a, a little canyon here. First, one of you that steps in here is gonna feel my blade. You know, you, you can let us pass, and there doesn't have to be any type of combat, is there any type of death here today. The ogres laugh because you know they're ogres, man, they're kind of jerks, right? This ogre who's talking to them is a little bigger than the other ones, they can tell he's a leader. Tells him that his name is Goron One Tusk, and he's the ogre chieftain of these ogres. He says, he says there. Are, he goes well. He goes well, my my clan is small, we still boast over two hundred ogres. That's a lot of ogres. It's a whole lot of ogres. He turns to several of his ogres and says, Bring me their weapons. And 10 ogres come rushing in. Battle begins. As the ogres come rushing in, Mercy, head over hand, whips her Morning Star forward. And I kid you not, roll the natural 20. It's one of those few times when I remember it because it had such an effect. She threw her morning star, rolled a natural 20, killing the first ogre coming into the canyon. 100%. And as it, before its body even hits the ground, her morning star is back in her hand again. The other ogres come in to fight. Darsh and Gehrig, two of the first ones they come across. And in just a minute or two, all ten of the Ogres are down. Now, while this is going on, the mages aren't doing anything. They're preparing spells to try to defend them from the rocks above, because they're expecting that. Uh, Jenna says, I want to sleep. I've got about 15 minutes left. Ten to fifteen minutes, and we're going to call it a day. I'll be ending right about 10.30 today. So I promise I'm almost done. So within those ten minutes, or the, sorry, those ten within those ten ogres, everyone's on the ground. Now there's one; they got one or two hits in, but nothing serious. The mages are preparing to protect against these things. Some of the other ogres start to move forward. The chieftain holds up his hand. Waves them back, and he looks at him. He says, "If we attack, you will die. But so will many of mine. I don't want that. But you're traveling through our lands right now, and they, obviously he he sounds more. You travel through our land. You know they got their own tongue, but I'm speaking. You're traveling." Through our lands right now. You trespassing. But maybe we can work trade. Now you can imagine. How this adventure has gone so far. My players are like. Oh God another bargain. (laughs) Because that keeps happening to them. Maybe we make trade. You not survive. Fighting my entire clan. I don't want to lose half my clan. I'll make you deal," says that. First, there's a little back and forth. Where he thinks they're empire sp- spies. They say they're not. That happened. Only took a minute. Um, he says, "You're very capable. Do a lot of damage. You never get through all of us, but." We are currently a clan at war. Maybe you can help us with our war. Mercy's intrigued and yet at the same time concerned because normally anything an ogre fights is something they'd want to protect. It's kind of how that works. But Right now the ogres are actually being relatively intelligent about this. They're not all just a we want to smash you. This chieftain's a little bit smarter than the average ogre. Again... Just because you're an ogre doesn't necessarily mean you're evil. It's an important part of Merge Worlds. Just because you're a snake person in a temple doesn't necessarily mean you're evil. And it's taken them a while to get to that point... ...to give everybody a chance to prove their actions before they start squishing them. Mercy, he goes... And what is it what is your war about? Who are you fighting? And he says many years ago we have allies with hill giants work together to protect our lands but as we pushed more into the mountains by the Empire food becomes scarce farming not good very little meat having to travel south to get that is dangerous from the humans now as food gets scarce Hill giants decide to take what they want from us. And even though I have many, hill giants are very big. And they live in large cave up on mountain. Very hard for ogres to get up there. M- imagine that. Imagine if... I like to kind of put it this way. Imagine if a hill giant was... You came up to, say, a hill giant's knees, Right? And you come across stairs that are built for someone who you only come up to their knees. You're a toddler trying to climb the stairs. That's not easy to do. Especially if they make it harder to climb. It's not going to be easy to fight your way up that kind of thing. They say, you small people. Well, most of you. Waves at Darsh and Garrick for a moment. You small. Seem capable. Have magic. You defeat half giants. You defeat hill giants. We'll give you passage through ogre lands. Give you passage. Unmolested. I promise. When food gone, hill giants attack humans anyways. You'll be helping out them. And you see, that's where the hill giant was smart. Or I mean where the, where the ogre was smart. He's like, listen, he's done taking our food. The only next food is the humans back there. You want to protect them, don't you? Mercy, Artemis, Darshan, and them are like, ooh, gah. We're stuck in a situation. Because yes, they just made friends with these villages. And Willem and and how nice they were. The last thing they want are hill giants going down there, tearing up those villages for whatever. Or even the villages they haven't met yet. They're good people. And they're like, so if we defeat the hill giants, you'll let us go through your lands. Was unmolested. Once you leave, all this land be ours. We no more have to compete for food with giants. So they're like, okay, fine. Fine, we'll do that. We'll go take care of your hill giant problem. Goran laughs. Ha <laughs> ha, excellent. If you're successful, we no longer have to work with hill giants. If you die, we don't have to worry about you. I only win in this situation. (laughs) He seems very proud of himself. They're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it. You're pretty proud of yourself. He explains that he doesn't know exactly how many hill giants are, but there's at least eight or nine of them. That's a lot of hill giants. It's a lot. I understand even a large group of ogres could have problems with that. But he says, if you can do that, we'll let it go. And he gives them some information. Tells them how to get there. They're a little bit higher up in the mountains. So I don't know how you're going to get up there. But if you can do it. Cool. Now I'm going to tell you. This is the first time. In all of this. That it dawns on them. Hey we have a flying carpet. Because they do have a flying carpet. Down in their chest of holding. They hadn't really considered it. Because it only holds six people. They don't want to keep putting people in and out of the chest of holding. But at this point, they're like, that would get us all up there. If we put them in the chest of holding, we could fly up and over. We wouldn't have to worry about all this climbing. If we could find a way, maybe even above the giants and come down, I doubt they would be expecting that. And more importantly, if we get rid of the hill giants, while it will obviously make us more amicable to the ogres, it will probably in the long run help the citizens of the towns we've just befriended. And that's really the type of people they are. So, they just, they agree, and they decide to take on the Hill Giants. And that's where we're going to start next week. I'm giving a couple minutes, because I've last couple episodes, I've been giving a chance for people to ask questions. Because I've had so many people who had some, and it was awesome. Uh, I enjoy that. I can let you know this. Next week's episode... We will complete this storyline. We're right near the end. Uh, So I'm excited for that. Um, This was the end of a very long storyline. You have to imagine that I'm sitting here talking about it takes five days. It takes three days in the swamp. It takes four days in the swamp. They had to live through those. The players actually had to fight their way through all of that stuff. Um, we played this adventure, this section, of just traveling through Ormon to find the tower for probably two, two and a half months. Now, we play every weekend. We play for six or eight hours every weekend. You know, it took them a while to get through the Agatha's thing. You know what I mean? It took them a while to cross the water. Going through the mountains with the beholder, that took a lot longer than the storytelling I'm giving. There were a lot of things that took, the stuff we're about to do took a little while. So there were a lot of different things they had to deal with. Um, that was a lot more in the living, that from storytelling, it's. They went five days, <laughs> kind of a thing. So um, this was the, the ending of not only a very long adventure storyline, but is really bringing to head a. Uh, boss fight that I've been building to for a very long time. So I'm excited to get there with you guys next week. Um, and I think it's going to be hopefully something you guys enjoy. Hopefully. All right, well, Jonah says, it's chill. it's chill to hear your voice even though I was never entered in such things. If i I'm my imagination, listen, even... Uh, said I'm not interested in things. Oh, that's cool. I appreciate it. Hey, like I said, I've, I've said this before. If anyone's ever interested what any of these characters I'm talking about look like, if you go to my website, OnlyDraven.com, and click the Characters tab at the top, you'll find... Uh, I went to Hero Forge, where you can make the little miniatures, and I painted and colored all the main characters and the side characters. All the people I talk about. Um, even the bad guys are all on there. If you ever want to put a uh, face... Or what someone looks like to the character I'm talking about. Uh, But we're just coming shy. This one's... Last week ended right at 10.30. This one's ending pretty much right at 10.30. Sometimes I run longer. Next week I might. It just depends. Um, But even after that, I still have another whole storyline to tell before we get to the new stuff that I've just been working on now. Uh, I'm very excited for that. So... uh, if anyone has any other questions about anything we've done or I've talked about tonight, feel free to throw them in chat. I'll give you just a minute or two as I'm saying my goodbyes. And while I'm doing that, if a question pops up at 4.30 a.m.? Oh, good Lord. My friend, get some rest. <laughs> I appreciate you sticking with us this long. <laughs> I hope you get some rest. But as for the rest of you and you as well, Jonas, thank you so much for coming by again today and letting me share my story. It is my favorite thing that I get to do. Uh, I say that every week because it's true. I love getting to share this with folks and it's awesome just for me to get to relive it through the telling. Um, if you had a good time today, please be sure to click like. Uh, if you are not subscribed, be sure to subscribe. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, it would be awesome if you'd follow or subscribe the uh, the uh, what is it the podcast. Uh, we're at 49 followers on Spotify right now. We're one away from having 50 Spotify followers. Uh, if you're on iTunes or, or or Spotify and you'd like to leave a review, uh, that would be awesome too. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, ratings, some you like stars, ratings. Some each one does it differently, so I don't know which one you're listening on. It would be awesome if you give it five stars. Tell a friend. Give it a, a, a rating or whatever, a feedback or review. I would appreciate it. I do check those regularly. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and tomorrow, I think I hope I can refresh it. So saw something not properly. Uh, you know, if something happens and you can't for a while, don't you worry about it, man. You still hang out with us. We'll have fun. I promise. <laughs> I always have a schedule like an American. All right, folks. I'm going to call that a day. I'm going to eat some food and rest because tomorrow I have to go back to my horrible job. Um, but I will be back streaming tomorrow night. Minecraft in the survival world. We're going to try to get that fusion reactor up and running at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Next Thursday, we're going to bring this story to a close. And I'm very excited to hear what you guys think of it. If you have any questions about this, feel free to put them down in the comments. Hit me up on our Discord channel. Uh, You can go to my website, OnlyDraven.com. There's a link to our Discord at the top. If you're a listener, come by and uh, check it out. Ask questions. There's a Merge Worlds thread for that specifically. Uh, I would love to chat with you about it. Or message me directly if you're worried about spoilers. I'm good there. Uh, But thank you for hanging out with me tonight. And again, thank you everyone who helped support and participate in the charity stream yesterday. Uh, That really means a lot as well. All of you guys helping out. So thank you so much for that. I'm sure all the little animals that were helping support will thank you as well. All right, everybody? You guys have yourselves a wonderful evening. I hope you have a great week and weekend. I hope some of you have a safe travel home from the beach and don't get attacked by a frog hummuth on the way. But you all have yourselves a wonderful day and I will see you again very soon, okay? Thank you for hanging out in Merge Worlds.